to go back home. Back to Hollywood. That's where the five-year-old told his mama that his heart exploded. In his idle time, the boy would yell, Action! and direct imaginary movies in his room. He'd thumb through picture books, remembering stars he'd worked with and, and some of the movies he'd done. It was all a curiosity to his parents until the nightmares came. He'd wake screaming in the middle of the night, clutching his chest and replaying the moment he'd had that heart attack. That's when his mom and dad really began to worry. His dad was a cop and, and his mom was a court clerk. And both of them had, had grown up in a traditional Western Christian household. So what they were hearing and what it might mean was squarely outside their raising and their Oklahoma culture. But their son had begun telling vivid stories. He told them about working with a man named George on the 1932 movie Night After Night. He remembered how Rita Hayworth made those drinks, what he called ice drinks. They found later that those were actually Coke floats. Then, in an old Hollywood book borrowed from the library, he saw a man in a, in a bowler hat and a black string tie. He pointed to the man and said eerily, And Mama, that's me. I found me. What happens when you die? Whoa, now... Now that is a weightier question than I usually get to on Haint Blues in amidst tales of southern witches and Bigfoot and, and UFO abductions. And fear not, I am not here to evangelize any theory on the topic. But when a copy of the University of Virginia magazine arrived recently, I found an amazing story I could not put down. It was about a special lab there in Charlottesville, Virginia. There very serious researchers explore apparitions, near-death experiences, deathbed visions, remote viewing, telekinesis, and more. The lab began, though, with the work of a man who'd explored peculiar stories told by children. They'd remember things. Things they couldn't possibly remember. And they'd say things. Impossible things. Sometimes even marks on their bodies, like birthmarks or scars, would match somebody else's. And that somebody else wasn't a relative or, or a friend, or even anyone alive. In some cases, it seemed these children were remembering the lives of people who had passed away. Researchers at the Division of Perceptual Studies at the University of Virginia have spent years decades studying cases of children who say they remember a past life. And one of the lead researchers there has a theory about the human soul with at least some support in the spiritual and scientific communities. 
and I do know that on its head, reincarnation is a foreign idea to Americans, especially those in the South. And again, I am not here to change any minds on it. But when you tell me there's a paranormal research lab in Old Dominion, I want to know more. And I'll tell you that all the work done in the division is supported by an endowment. Alright, my name's Toby Sells. Let's load up and head out to the beautiful campus of Thomas Jefferson's University of Virginia to maybe find some crossroads, an intersection of science and the paranormal, today on Haint Blues. Dr. Jim Tucker grew up in North Carolina. In his book, Return to Life, he said that he and his family attended a Southern Baptist church most Sundays and, quote, being a dutiful son, I believe what I heard on most Sundays. Later, he went to college at UNC Chapel Hill. After that, he studied psychiatry at the University of Virginia, what most folks call UVA for short. While he'd left behind much of the church's dogma, he hadn't reached firm conclusions against spirituality. He was curious, a, a seeker. Tucker graduated and set up a private practice in Charlottesville. He married and his wife opened him up to several spiritual topics like psychics and spirits and even past lives. So Tucker picked up a book by a UVA professor, Ian Stevenson. That book, Children Who Remember Past Lives, intrigued Tucker. Later, he'd read in the Charlottesville Daily Progress that Stevenson's office had won a grant to study the effects of near-death experiences. Finally, his wife convinced him to call Stevenson's office to volunteer. As I prepared to attend the meeting, Tucker wrote, I wondered how people who did this kind of work dressed. For instance, did, did the men wear ties? I decided to go with the most casual work outfit that I had, wearing a shirt and a tie, but not a dressing one. And then Ian walked in wearing a three-piece suit. Tucker began his work with Stevenson with a sort of boring-sounding task. He reviewed the medical records of people who said they'd had a near-death experience to see how close they'd actually come to death. He said it felt like a worthwhile but unpaid hobby. After two years of this office work, Stevenson invited Tucker into the field. He was researching two cases of children who remembered past lives. Tucker soon found himself on an airplane headed for Thailand. She said her home, her real home, was three miles away in Mbuham village. At the time, only a, a dirt road ran between the two villages and, and buses rarely ran between the two. The girl's father had a distant relative in Buhom, but he'd never been there and, and no one really ever came from Buhom to their village. But Ampan told her parents that she died there. Died in the district hospital of dengue fever, a viral illness spread by mosquitoes in tropical and subtropical climates. Ampon said that she died at the hospital in a van 
took her body away. She ran to catch it, but, but she couldn't. Tucker wrote, She began walking, and after five miles, passed by the road in, in front of her parents' house. She said she was looking for drinking water. She saw her future mother, and there was a cool breeze. So, rather than continue on her journey, she lay down to rest there, and she was subsequently born to her mother. Ampon said her name, her real name, was Wong, or Samwong. She wanted to see her real mother, she said, and, and she cried for three years to see her. And then finally she got her chance. One day her family and her neighbors rented a bus to attend a Buddhist festival in Buhom. And when she got there, Ampon led her mother straight to an unfamiliar home. She ran right up to a woman and hugged her and called her Mommy. The woman said that she did, in fact, have a daughter named Samwang, and that she died in the same way that this strange little girl had described it. In interviews after the event, Tucker, the North Carolina boy living in Virginia, concluded that if Ampon was indeed Samwang in a previous life, Samwang's consciousness or, or soul or, or spirit, if you like, seems to have remained tightly connected to this realm and to her family. A question emerges about all of this, well before Ampon or Tucker, the Division of Perceptual Studies and, and Talks of Reincarnation in Children. How on earth did a paranormal research laboratory land on the iconic southern campus of the University of Virginia. The school was founded in 1819 by Thomas Jefferson, the American president and, and the author of the Declaration of Independence. Jefferson's presence can be felt there today. There's the school's famous student-run honor code, and Jefferson himself laid out the university's original design. And most notably to that end, Look for the towering dome of the rotunda, which adorns one end of a sprawling lawn. It's the same kind of dome that caps Monticello, Jefferson's home near the university. And it's the same kind of dome that caps the Jefferson Memorial in Washington. The University of Virginia has flourished since its founding to become a powerhouse. While Northeastern kids may dream of going to Harvard or Yale, serious Southern students long for Vanderbilt, William & Mary, Tulane, or the University of Virginia. UVA is most noted for its programs in business, law, English, medicine, and psychology. And it's an open-minded approach to psychology that allowed Thomas Jefferson's well-loved, well-respected university to become home to a national epicenter of paranormal thought and research. Earlier in this episode, we met Dr. Ian Stevenson, the man wearing the three-piece suit to that research luncheon that Tucker attended. And it's thanks largely to him that the Paranormal Research Center is located at UVA. Stevenson was born in Canada, and when he was a kid, a, a case of bronchitis kept him in bed for a spell. 
It was there that Stevenson fell in love with books and learning. He studied medicine and earned his MD. First, he researched biochemistry, but really wanted to study the whole person. And there was a, a question back then that interested him above most others. Why did illness and stress cause one person to have, say, asthma? And in another person, illness and stress caused, say, high blood pressure. He taught later at the Louisiana State University School of Medicine and later studied psychoanalysis at the New Orleans Psychoanalytic Institute. And later, he was named head of UVA's Department of Psychiatry. But that question still bugged him. Why do two people have different physical responses to illness and stress? Stevenson believed that neither nurture nor nature alone, neither heredity nor the environment alone, could accurately account for people's fears, illnesses, or special abilities. Maybe there was a third way. The idea became the foundation of the work Stevenson would build his career upon. That third way, Stevenson thought, might be a way for, for some form of, of personality or, or memory to be transformed from one person to another. Early in his career, Stephen was careful about using the R word, reincarnation. He had no physical proof that a personality, a soul, could survive death and transfer itself. But reincarnation did become a reoccurring explanation for what he saw in the cases he followed. Stevenson worked, traveled, and wrote. And his projects won awards at the American Society for Psychical Research and, and won him a grant from the Parapsychology Foundation. And that grant led Stevenson to India to interview a child who was claiming to have past life memories. Jim Tucker, which was Stevenson's protege, said the man found 25 other cases of past life memories while he was there. They were the subjects of Stevenson's first book, 20 Cases Suggestive of Reincarnation. All of it caught the attention of Chester Carlson, the inventor of xerography. What's that? You'll know xerography and, and maybe even remember the smell of it if you ever xeroxed anything. Well, Carlson, the Xerox inventor, gave Stevenson further financial help. And this allowed Stevenson to step down as the chair of psychiatry at UVA and to help him set up his own division, which he called the Division of Personality Studies. Carlson died in 1968 and left the university $1 million for Stevenson's research. That's more than $7 million in today's money. Stevenson's work earned him the scorn of some of his colleagues, and it made the university's administration a bit anxious, but they accepted Carlson's money, and that strange paranormal laboratory was minted right there on Thomas Jefferson's leafy campus in bucolic Charlottesville, Virginia. Here's the end of Stevenson's 2007 obituary in the Washington Post. Dr. Stevenson retired from active research in 2002, leaving his work to successors led by Dr. Bruce Grayson. Dr. Jim Tucker, a child psychiatrist, has carried on Dr. Stevenson's work with children, focusing on North American cases, 
Tucker said that toward the end of his life, Dr. Stevenson had accepted that his long-stated goal of getting science to seriously consider reincarnation as a possibility was not going to be realized in this lifetime. But in 1996, no less a luminary than astronomer Carl Sagan, a founding member of a group that set out to debunk unscientific claims, wrote in his book The Demon Haunted World that, quote, there are three claims in the parapsychology field which, in my opinion, deserve serious study. The third of which was that, quote, young children sometimes report details of a, a previous life, which upon checking turn out to be accurate, and which they could not have known about in any other way than reincarnation. He'd been friends with a, a cowboy. And that cowboy had this horse and, and they did these tricks together. And the cowboy did commercials for cigarettes. And, and they'd done a, a picture together, a movie. And in that movie there was a scene that had a closet full of guns. But the, the cowboy's name was different when they made that movie. And Lordy, don't get him started about trying to talk to Marilyn Monroe one time. She had studio guys all around her all the time. But he did try to talk with her at a party once. And for it, one of them fellas punched him right in the eye. These were the stories that Ryan, a five-year-old kid living in Oklahoma, told his mama and daddy as they thumbed through a Hollywood picture book they'd gotten from the library. He kind of always told stories about Hollywood and, and the famous people that he knew and that big house where he lived with the, with the swimming pool outside. But the Hollywood that Ryan talked about was an, an older one, back when Marilyn Monroe and, and Rita Hayworth were leading ladies. It seems that Ryan wanted to make up stories about movies at the time and at his age, he'd maybe string a tale about the Ninja Turtles or, or the Transformers. But it wasn't just Hollywood talk with Ryan that made his folks worry. He predicted the future with alarming accuracy. And he told his mama about his life when she was pregnant with him. And then there were those nightmares about having a heart attack. It was all enough for Cindy, Ryan's mom, to send a to whom it may concern letter to the Division of Perceptual Studies at the University of Virginia. Jim Tucker, the man who led the group after Stevenson, received that letter and was immediately intrigued. While most of Stevenson's work focused on cases in Asia, Tucker decided he wanted to focus his work in North America. In Ryan's story, more than fit the bill. It was amazing. Ryan and his family agreed to meet Tucker. And before he got there, Cindy began keeping a journal of Ryan's stories. On a trip to Branson, Missouri, they, they went to see a, a patriotic show. And during a piece on Pearl Harbor, Ryan became emotional. And he, he booed loudly at a clip of, of Franklin Roosevelt saying, Daddy doesn't know what an idiot that man is. 
He talked about an agency where people changed their names and talked about visiting the Eiffel Tower in China. Ryan said he was starting to forget his life in Hollywood. And that, that made him sad, he told his mom. But at the same time, he just wanted to be Ryan. His mama looked at him and said that Ryan is a great little boy and that she wanted him to have the answers to the questions that he cried about at night. After Ryan warmed up to Tucker, he told him about Hollywood. And during that time, a producer with an A&E show called The Unexplained hoped to feature Ryan's case on television. The family agreed, and what that bought them was a team of researchers who could help find those answers for Ryan. They dug deep to find the key that could unlock the entire puzzle. And after months, they found it. They found the man Ryan pointed to in that book and said, That's me, Mama. I found me. Though the man in the bowler hat and the string tie was an uncredited extra in the film Night After Night, the show's researchers discovered his name. It was Marty Martin who had died in 1964, and after a series of strenuous tests, Ryan confirmed that he had indeed been that man before. The facts that flow and, and fit together from that breakthrough are nothing less than miraculous. The film Night After Night that featured Marty Martin starred an actor named Gordon Nance. He typically starred in westerns, and did ads for Viceroy cigarettes. Later, the actor changed his name to Wild Bill Elliott. Stories of Rita Hayworth and Marilyn Monroe proved too tough to substantiate. But researchers could prove that Marty Martin had been a lifelong Republican, which explained why Ryan booed Franklin Roosevelt during that show in Branson. Ryan talked about an agency where people changed their names. Marty Martin moved from New York to Los Angeles and began work as an extra and a, and a dance director. But he soon set up shop as a talent agent, the Marty Martin Agency, which had notable clients like Glenn Ford. And if there's ever a place where people change their names, it's at a talent agency. One thing that didn't match up, though, Ryan had those nightmares about his heart exploding, a seeming heart attack. Marty Martin had been a smoker, even had a monogrammed cigarette case. But Martin died on Christmas Day in 1964 of a cerebral hemorrhage and was in the hospital for leukemia. Martin died alone, though, and no one witnessed his death. In the midst of his talk of Hollywood, Ryan told his mama that he'd seen her that night, crying at that restaurant on Daddy's birthday. He watched it from heaven, he said. He knew that she was upset because she wanted a, a little girl. He said, this doctor guy did a test and, and told you that I was a boy. And you got mad and, and said he was wrong. You just knew that I was going to be a girl. Mommy, it was Daddy's birthday, 
and you went to a restaurant afterward to eat and you cried for a very long time. It was a hard truth to hear from your child, but it was the truth. Ryan knew other truths too. There was his grandma's first child that had died in childbirth. Even his mama didn't know about that. He told his granny that she was going to get chicken pox, and she did. He said his grandpa was going to have to buy a new special wrench, and sure enough, his grandpa said later that his wrenches had fallen off the back of his truck. There were premonitions about broken squirt guns, someone who was going to throw out their back, and Ryan accurately predicted who his second grade teacher was going to be. He was willing to bet his mama an Xbox on it. She didn't take the bet, and she was wise not to. Ryan's is just one amazing case among the many in Jim Tucker's second book, Return to Life where I got much of the information for today's show. And reincarnation is not the only thing Tucker and his band of researchers study there at the Division of Perceptual Studies at the University of Virginia. Again, it's things like remote viewing, telekinesis, psychic abilities, and more. But they study all of these seemingly far out subjects with science. And when it comes to the science of reincarnation, Tucker believes that personalities or, or souls have some physical component to them. Now, there's a lot more to it involving quantum physics and, and things I have no business trying to explain to somebody else. But if you're interested, I'll leave a link to that UVA magazine story in the show notes. I can report here at the end that Ryan did finally stop talking about Hollywood. His mama walked into his room one night after his episode of The Unexplained aired on A&E. He'd taken down his decorations, his Eiffel Tower, and his pictures of New York. Tucker said that he told her it was time to just be a regular kid. He wanted to know if his dad could paint his room, and if they could get him some Oklahoma Sooners bedding and sheets. His parents were thrilled. Alright, my name's Toby Sells. Thank y'all for loading up and heading out with me today. Holler back at me here soon for more Haint Blues. <laughs>